is film like milk. Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's. Mm, damn it. Leche. <laughs> Whole milk, skim milk, medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we talk about film that has gone bad in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and with me, wonderfully, I just can't get enough of him, David William Rogers. Hello. Hello. He just dabbed. What's happening? Now I have to quit the podcast. Uh, hey, David. How's it going? Good. How you doing? Divvy dabbing it up. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. It's, uh, you know, getting in the Christmas spirit. And, it is. And as such, you know, we are discussing Christmas movies uh, this month of December. And today we have a film that I had never seen. I don't know if that's new information to you. But David, what is the film we are doing? That is new information. The film we're doing today is A Christmas Story, 1983, directed by Bob Clark, and the writing credits go to Gene Shepard. So this one is pretty interesting. I don't think the cast was pretty well known until after this movie, Mm -hmm. even though a lot of them worked previously. Mm -hmm. But it's like a Christmas classic um, some channels run this movie 24 hours from wow. Christmas Eve through Christmas Day. Wow. Yeah, just on a complete loop. And it's got some pretty interesting history with the uh, with the writer and how he got started. Can't wait to get into it. We do have a guest joining us today. We will introduce him in just a moment. David, even though I think it is actually your turn to do the synopsis, because I've never seen this film, may I please do it? Yeah, I think it's your turn, though. So. Okay, well... Who knows? We're so lost in that anyways, but yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going (laughs) to make it really short and sweet. So this movie is about a totally abusive father and a kid that's obsessed with guns. And that's all I'm going to say, because Uh, that is what what this movie is about. But uh, yes, it is. It's totally what this movie is about. If I could break it down into the least amount of words... That is what this movie's about. But let's introduce our guest. We've got Jay Light joining us. Hello to you, Jay. Hello. It's so glad. It's so glad. I got so flustered. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know how to say hi to say, y'all. Jay, I'm sorry you had to walk into that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a trap. Uh, Jay is a stand-up comic. He's also the host of the podcast Blockbusting, which David and I were guest on a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. Um, Jay, you perform mainly around LA, right? Yes. In stand-up comic career? Yeah. Lots of shows in Los Angeles. That's, uh, that's where I grew up as a comedian, mostly. I started in North Carolina when I was in college, but I've been here in LA for almost a decade, which is oh crazy to think about. Quite the achievement. They say it takes 10 years to break into the business. So how that how's that going for you? It's good. It's good. I got uh, an album that came out last year. Um, it's available at wherever you listen to comedy albums. It's called Good Guy with a Gun. It's a little silly joke, joke, joke oh, album. So it's about this movie. Then. It's this movie. It's about exactly. It's perfect for this movie. Um, okay. And I write for some TV shows uh, in the in the game show and reality competition show department, like Master Chef and Legends of the Hidden Temple. And uh, of mm-hmm. course, I get to talk about movies that people hate all the time on my podcast, like y'all did with Passengers. <laughs> yep, that's right. Yeah. We just passengered the shit out of you on that podcast we brought you along for the ride so jay let's dive into your career a little bit so how did you get started in writing for things like game shows and cooking shows and all the shows how did you get involved well i uh have been in los angeles for quite some time like i said um i 
worked as a door guy at the comedy store. And part of the allure of working at the comedy store as a comedian is you get to perform a lot while you're on the clock. And there was one night I happened to be working in a show in the main room. Um, I did a spot. Guy saw me, came up to me afterwards. He was like, hey, I really like your act. I think you're really funny. I'm putting together a writer's room for a game show pilot. I would love to have you come in and be in the room, get in touch with me. So I did. And uh, and, and that's how it all started. And uh, I worked in that. That was a pilot that didn't wind up going. Have you all ever played Mafia or Werewolf? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a yeah. It's you, David. You know that game where you're in like a circle and one person's the murderer and you kind of. Have oh, to... I thought you were talking about the mafia game on PlayStation where they gave you choices and you had to pick like X or circle to go a different direction. I have not played these two. Oh, this is. I mean, this is a great. If you're ever on like a camping trip or yes. at like a party where it's a small enough group of people that you can play a game, mafia, werewolf, great stuff. But the pilot I wrote on was based on that game. And then from there, I worked on a couple other shows, um, BattleBots, MasterChef, like I said, and Legends of the Hidden Temple and some weird stuff like that. Um, I mean, I always loved game shows as a kid, and I also loved comedy as a kid, too. And I never, ever thought that, like, the worlds would collide. But, hey, here we are. We're not going to hold this against you, but um, we did try to get on Legends of the Hidden Temple, and Paris and I were... Declined, well, and they we sent us declined. a very angry note no, saying just, that they just ignored us, and we were like, "Are you fucking serious? <laughs> like, we would be the best fucking blue barracudas you've ever seen in your goddamn life." Yeah, well, and also we're hilarious. So I we think didn't. They were intimidated for some reason. I really I think don't that. Know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think our answers were too good, and they were like, "Nah, this is gonna take over they, from the host." They probably knew you no, were gonna be too off. good at the game and win too many yeah. prizes, and they just didn't have that many huffy bikes and oh, trips to oh, space well camp then, to give out, you know? Well, okay, then. That makes sense. I'm, I'm okay But I'll, if I go back for another that. season, I'll put in a good word for you, too. <laughs> okay, good. Appreciate other, it. Otherwise, I'm going to make my own space camp. <laughs> Me in a big, empty space. And I'm going to be like, that's it. Um, but, Jay, seriously, going back to your stand-up comedy career in L.A. So, you know, I've watched the show Crashing, and I'm curious to know how true to life that show is. If you haven't seen the show, it's great. It's about a stand-up comic he moves to New York. He's like a small town, sort of very religious guy. And he, you know, is buffeted around by the comedy scene in New York, which I know is not the same as L.A., but I'm curious to know if that's got any basis in reality. Well, I mean, it certainly does, um, especially I, I've I've spent some time in the New York scene. I love the differences between the New York scene and the L.A. scene. I think that New York is much more uh, uh, chaotic and it breeds a different kind of comedian out there. Um, And also there's a a way different way of approaching actually performing. Um, I think that it it hit that part well. Obviously, because it's TV, they have to make stuff happen every episode. So in real life, there's no way that a person who like just started doing stand up and was like doing it maybe a couple of years would get any of the kind of jobs that Pete got on that show. He's not going right. to be doing the warm up for Rachel Ray. He's not going to be doing these big crazy church and college tours at two years in. That's just not that's just not how it works. Um, I mean, it took how, what is the yeah, I was going to say, what does the year years look like for a stand up comic starting out? It kind of depends. Um, I think I mean, the people who I know 
who are in like my class of comedians, as it were, at the store, we all have been doing it for probably about anywhere I would say between like eight and 12 years. And some of my friends are, you know, we've experienced some success. Some of them are having writing jobs or they're out on the road regularly. Um, Some of them are still working a day job. And it just depends. And, you know, sometimes you have somebody who does pop early, but even that it takes like the earliest I've ever seen somebody who was newer achieve some like big time success. It was like four or five years into Uh, them doing stand up. Yeah. And then I also was talking with a friend who's thinking of moving to L.A. from a smaller city. And she was like, yeah, I mean, you know, if I lived in L.A., I'd be going to do three sets a night. Is that realistic like would somebody be bumping around i know that the, that's kind of what they do in crashing he's like i'm up on this and uh-huh. you know but it, is that what it's like in the la scene in new york it's way easier to do that la it is much it is possible now especially if you are factoring in doing open mics and mm-hmm. uh and and the drive time it's doable you'll be driving a lot tell your friend if she's listening friend you'll spend a lot of gas <laughs> in gas money so get a hybrid the car gas money is really fucking expensive right yeah now. So or Ubers. Yeah. yeah. Both expensive. But the other downside is like if you're doing three sets a night and some of them are open mics, open mics are depending if you hit the wrong one, you you could have your soul crushed and be too despondent <laughs> to go do any other spots that night. So right. it's kind of a it's kind of a crapshoot. But that's the risk you but take. Isn't that something you got to kind of get over? I've only done stand-up probably maybe five times total and this was in milwaukee and a lot of the open mics were all just other comedians so i'd be doing stuff that i thought was funny and i'd laugh and like the mc would laugh but then all the other comics were just like kind of judging or critiquing right right waiting for their turn or just kind of critiquing probably like thinking more about the joke and things like that so even if you do bomb isn't that something you, like for you jay you had to like you just gotta keep going yeah sure when you're doing stand-up because it really doesn't matter you're gonna have a bad show yeah you're gonna bomb you're gonna fail bombing's inevitable you just, yeah yeah so you just gotta keep pressing forward man. Right. all right well try something else it is a matter of i've found in la that if you go to an open mic where there are good comedians who hang out at it and the, uh, you know, sometimes if it's like a neighborhood bar, like there's one that happens up the street from where I live in Highland Park uh, called the Offbeat every Tuesday night. And they have regulars who show up. They have a great set of comics who also go regularly to work out the material. And that kind of open mic is really, really great because it doesn't feel like everybody's just distracted in their phones, not paying attention you know, uh, deliberately like stonewalling whoever's on stage. It's a, it's about building a better community. Uh, yeah, and I think supporting that supporting each other. Yeah. I hope, uh, anybody who's listening, who is interested in doing stand up, look for, look for the places that feel like they have a good community. Well, I'm truthfully interested in stand up. You know, I did some during the pandemic, but I think for me and the reason I was asking as well is like, I also have a day job in the industry and I, don't know and this is probably you'd just be like well fuck you Paris and you can't be <laughs> but like the idea of doing three shows a night like you know I'm an early riser I work out at 6 30 in the morning mm-hmm. and it just seems like the stand-up scene is like you have to I think David you shared a video with me like last year that this guy was like you're gonna get up and you're gonna go three times a week. remember that comedian video you sent me and it was like you're gonna have to pour your heart and soul into it you're gonna be you tired remember who, who the video was I might have watched this video in, in sometime in my stand-up yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a bigger guy. Ralphie and May? He, 
Probably. Probably. He's the bigger. He's be. the biggest guy yeah, size wise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that that does make sense. I think that was Ralphie. Yeah. I mean, and it's like I totally get that. And like, it's like anything. You know, anybody who thinks they're gonna make their first podcast episode and it's gonna go amazing, like David and I can tell you. You know, and Jay, you've been doing your podcast for ages. Like, it isn't right. Like, it takes time, and and everything takes time. You're never gonna write that mm-hmm. award winning script first off. But I think. I don't know. There's something intimidating, A, as a woman, like wanting to do stand up, and mm-hmm. B, just as someone who is shitty at night. Like, I'm a morning person. Like, by the end of the day, I'm, I gotta put my PJs on and watch, uh, watch a cooking show that you probably Maybe wrote on. you start an open mic Tuesday mornings at a coffee so shop. That's what I pitched. I was and like, then people can go drink some coffee, okay. relax, get some jokes in, and then they go off to their this day is, and you start their there day. There should out. be more of those. There's, this is what I want. Brunch and coffee. My friend and I were talking about it. Sorry, brunch and comedy. Like we have, drag brunch shows why can't we have open mic brunches i will saying one of my absolute favorite there used to be one that happened in silver lake that was at like a a burning man house um (laughs) and it was a sunday brunch show they called it the sunday bomb so it was brunch open mic something i don't remember what the other b stood for at the end of bomb but it was great and yeah brunch open mic and bacon and Mm -hmm. people would show up and it would go for about two hours and then we did, it would, you know, there's, it was another same thing. Good community, good comics. Occasionally you'd have random people come and hang out watching the show. And then afterwards you get brunch. And also it was very potluck style where people would bring like cinnamon rolls or orange juice and champagne. If you wanted cool. to mimosa it up. But yeah, there needs to be more of those. I love because, that. So yeah, I went there all the time. Any restaurants out there that are listening, <laughs> right? Start get... like a brunch comedy thing. So that Paris is every too Sunday, tired and she'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> but also, no, Jay. I, this is it's interesting. It opens up an interesting question because I know um, that a lot of comics suffer with like addictions, right? Like, yeah. co- comedy comedy clubs breed drinking and Mm -hmm. you know again like it's late night like if you are working a day job whatever that is whether it's in the industry or out of the industry like you know people are not necessarily unless they got up late like people are not their sharpest at like 11 p.m which might be when you go up so can you speak without you know calling anybody out like to that whole scene like the drinking and the and the drugs that kind of seem to be around oh certainly i mean i'm i had addiction problems myself i'm sober i've I've been sober for six years and being around that if you sort of have a proclivity towards something you know maybe something in your family you got addiction or, or alcoholism or problems like that in your family comedy at the face of it doesn't seem like the place to go to because, right. you know, I worked at the comedy store for years, right? Comedy store, it's so easy to get drunk on the clock and you, I would, you know, people could bring you drinks if you have a good set. I have, this is the, like, I have so many people after I have a good set who will buy, offer to buy me a drink as a, you know, it's a polite gesture. Like, Hey, don't buy, let me buy you a shot or buy you a beer or whatever. And that's just part and parcel with like what you do as a performer. Um, but it's not impossible to avoid. It's totally uh, easy to avoid as long as you – I think, again, this goes back to, like, who you're hanging out with as mm. a comic. Like, you, whoever you see the most and hang out with the most and work with the most and write with outside of open mics, those are the people who are going to sort of dictate the way your career kind of goes a little bit you know like i have one of my absolute best friends who is uh we started working the comedy store together we've both been doing stand-up 
around, you know, 10, 11 years, he is the total opposite of me in terms of like addictions and stuff. Like he's a weed influencer. He has <laughs> all these deals with like edible companies and, and vape companies and stuff like that. And flower companies. And he, you know, he can live that life and it works for him. And, and it just doesn't work for everybody. But that's the thing. It's like, I still look at, at, at Frank and I'm like, this is one of my best friends. He's one of my writer dies. But I also like, I can't do the same things that he does. And I think mm-hmm. once you sort of as a person, not even necessarily as a comic, once you like figure out like what works for you, mm-hmm. then it becomes so much easier to become a better comedian. Like, mm-hmm. you know, to the day job point, right? Like I have made the shift over the past couple of years from working a job where I was basically like immersed in comedy all the time, immersed in stand up. Going from being, you know, like I only out at night, I'm out until like two in the morning, I'm home and awake until like three or four in the morning. And now I have the same job where I'm like, okay, I'm getting up at 630. I'm getting up at five in order to be on set by 630, maybe Mm -hmm. sometimes even earlier than that. And that doesn't mean that I can go out and do open mics and and shows the way I used to. But Mm -hmm. I try and work smarter and Mm -hmm. actually focus on like how to write better and grow my material better. Even if I can't perform it, you know, three times a night, the way I did when I was first really like Mm -hmm. grinding it out here in LA. So you're saying it is possible to be a lazy comic. No, I'm just kidding. It's Um, possible. It's, it is possible to be lazy though. I think that like you can do it and you can, and, and you can write those jokes and you can also, Hey, find some other people who want to do the brunch shows pointing at myself for anybody. No, it, it's, it's interesting too, because like, I know, you know, I remember coming to LA before I moved here actually. And, uh, the girl on SNL, Melissa, is that her name? Melissa uh, Senor, Yeah. Yeah. She's I saw pal. her, I saw her do a set at the comedy store and I thought she was so fucking funny. And then the next minute, you know, I saw her on SNL and I was like, oh shit, that's the girl I saw at the comedy store. At the same time, I have a mutual with Chloe Feynman, who mm-hmm. uh, this guy that was in a play that I wrote and I knew her through him just from her doing impressions on Instagram. So I feel like, you know, as much as stand up is still going to open mics and, and doing the stuff and you would know that better than anyone, like the rise of TikTok, the rise of Instagram, the rise of like YouTube channels. I feel like if you have comedy there is other ways to like put it out there. Right. Oh yeah. If you, you know, if, if you want to pursue comedy, stand up's not the only way to do it. I think for a long time, the entertainment industry stand up was sort of the only way. And, you know, of course there's tons of stories from like the eighties and the nineties and even a little bit into the two thousands of people getting discovered at an open mic or not an open mic, at like a comedy show at the comedy store, the improv or whatever, they're a stand up, they sell their pilot based on their life and that's how you do it. And now because there are so many other avenues and especially with the rise of like improv and sketch, thanks to places like UCB and groundlings. Groundlings. Yeah. Um, second city, um, all of that has become sort of, sorry for banging my mic there. All of that has become (laughs) part of the many pillars of comedy. And there's a lot of ways to get seen in a lot of ways to build an audience and also to find your voice as a, as a comedic person, whatever that right, may be. Right, like say 
starting a movie podcast and yeah. uh, talking to funny people. And, oh, uh, yeah. And on that note, because I'm great at transitions <laughs> uh, and I've been grilling you about the comedy scene, let's talk about A Christmas Story, which was on a short list, to be fair, of movies that I sent you. Um, you wanted to do a movie that we had already assigned to somebody else. So... Mm-hmm. Jay, why did you pick this movie from that list? Well, so I am, of course, a big fan of the Christmas movie genre. Uh, my favorite Christmas movies have shifted over the years. There was definitely a time in my life when A Christmas Story was the favorite. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it in a really long time. And so I figured, hey, this is a perfect opportunity to revisit an old favorite, see... You know, see what happened to it. See if it's still up and up and potentially could crack back into the top five or the top three. And that's that's why I wanted to to take a look. And I uh, that's the thing I forgot upon watching it how much there is in this movie. This is a really packed (laughs) movie. There's a lot that goes on in it. (laughs) So, what are your top three right now? Right now, Um, it's a Wonderful Life number one, and then. Uh, Bad Santa, number two, mm-hmm. and Elf, number three. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Although, Solid top um, three. I'll put a Muppet Christmas Carol in there at number four or five. It's fighting for it. Muppet Christmas Carol, outstanding. Outstanding Muppet Christmas Christ- movie. <laughs> That's a great movie. Check that one out. Oh, yeah. You're in and out, and I think it's less than 90 minutes long. It's it's fantastic. You got Michael Caine as Scrooge. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen A Wonderful Life. You guys have to remember, I did not grow up in America, like sort of did in American culture, but there's some massive gaps in my knowledge, including this film, obviously. Um, David, I can't remember if this is in like your top. No, it's not. It's not in my top. But I mean... So, <laughs> in our synopsis, you said abusive father. <laughs> Jay, do you think he's a, he's abusive? Like, we both grew up in the States. Are you kidding like, me? I, I'm just saying, do Are we think... Are you kidding hold on, me? Hold on, hold on, let him answer. Like, do we think this guy is abusive? Or is it, <laughs> this guy is, or is that just, is this just a, a normal, uh, you know, Midwestern This father? is a pretty normal Midwestern 40s dad. Yeah, Especially, like, it's, it's the kind of thing that, like, if you look back, you're like, oh, he's probably dealing with some PTSD of some kind <laughs> and yeah maybe in the sequel Just trying to keep things together yeah maybe in the sequel to a Christmas story you have to check back in with dad going to his sessions at the VA hospital trying to unravel <laughs> what he's done I, I can't believe you're even okay maybe this is a cultural thing when this when the brother the brother is hiding in the clo- in the cupboard and he's like daddy's gonna kill Ralphie I'm like these children are fucking emotionally scarred. The mom's like shaking as she doles out the thing. And she's like, oh, nothing, sweetie. Oh, what's going on with the bears? She's like changing the subject. It's classic abusive dad. He's always yelling. And then at the end, they're all sipping wine. And oh, no. Okay. Who, who doled out the punishment when he said fuck? His mom. His mom. Mm-hmm. But the threat, so, the threat of the dad is always there. Like they're Yeah, not- because it's a grown man. Like, like. I had that with, uh, you know, when my mom got remarried, like he never really put his hands on me, but it was, it was the, the threat. It's a bigger dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? This could happen. And it's like, it's built up in your head. So that's, I think why these little kids. I got like, are, I'll, are I got like, wait way. till your dad's home. Like wait. And then that, you know, but then my dad was like the softer one of the two. Like I got the soap in the mouth as a kid, which watching it now, I'm like, I will never do that yeah, to my I children. I had it once and no effect on me. 
I was a little so bastard. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, I'm like chewing on it right in front of my mom. Oh, mine was, hands, mine was hands. Mine was for sure. It was like just pumped right into your mouth. Yeah, oh, gross. Pretty much. Yeah. I yeah. never got Bone soap bubbles. in the mouth, but I did get put in time out a lot. I was uh, I had a lot of like sitting in the corner to do. And I, I also was that, like, my mom was, was sort of the like the wait until your dad comes home. But my but same deal. My my dad was the softer and yeah. my mom was, was definitely threat. a hard ass. Yeah. Um, I remember, so my brother Kipling, we lived in this old, old house in Sydney for a couple of years. And I remember he put a brick through the window and my <laughs> youngest sibling was on the other side of the door. It was it like, had all these like glass paned windows. It was like this old, amazing house. And it was the only time that my mom used a belt on his ass. I think he got like one wallop and then they were both crying so hard. Like, I don't, I feel like parents of like the nineties and 2000s are like way less intense than these fucking 1940s parents like Jesus Christ <laughs> oh for sure I mean I got spanked I think maybe once or twice um, but that's also I think that's like a South and Midwestern America thing for sure too yeah I never got spanked just like put up against the wall oh, a few times <laughs> Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> it's like I never got spanked, but I got put in the cage outside. You guys had yeah. a cage outside. Yeah, right? my parents Darth well, Vadered me. I that's yeah. how I got <laughs> that's how out. punishment was doled out. Well that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think this guy's abusive. Oh no, he's totally abusive. You No, will... I mean if he was abusive, he would be whipping those kids. Everybody's like, petrified like, of like him. Like Jackson's daddy's. Oh like, my god, go what the, the fuck is that? <laughs> what the fuck? He get, he blames his swear word on his friend and then all you can hear through the phone is this kid getting the shit beat out of him? He doesn't even know why. <laughs> he doesn't even know why. His Wait, mom just didn't said, he blame it on? Um, did he blame it on the bully? No, or his friend he Schwartz. He said flick. Oh, Schwartz. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Schwartz. then he gets, yeah. And then she's yeah. like, "Do you know what your son said?" And then the all you hear is the mom like douche, 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 running down the hall yeah. and then just beating the shit out of him. And then she hangs up and she's like, "Well, <laughs> but you that's, got that's something I loved about this movie is that every reaction was way over the top because it's the guy narrating talking about his Christmas story when he was a kid, right? Mm -hmm. So that's his mind on how these events panned out. So you had the flashbacks, which were really cool. And then like his mom, just every time something happened, it was super dramatic. When the teacher did something, it was super dramatic. So I love that theme throughout this movie um, with the narration on top of yeah. it. Maybe I'm just sensitive to this kind of stuff, but I felt like the dad was super aggro. The whole, like, he was like on the verge of exploding. But you're right, Jay. It's 1940s. He's probably... He looks older too, so he definitely fought in World War. Yeah, he One. fought in he fought in World War. He fought in the Great War. He is <laughs> he's. I mean, he's swearing a lot. He mostly it sounds like he takes most of his aggression out on the furnace. To be fair yeah. to the rest of the which, family, which blows up on him a little bit every once in a while too. But yeah, so. it's a very cartoonish movie, David. To your point, like this is the thing I completely forgot just how how much of a live action cartoon this movie is to its, yeah. to its benefit and to its detriment. I think. Yeah. There was one part when, you know, he's playing around and he's got that cowboy suit on and he's, he's thinking about what he's going to do when he gets the red rider BB gun and the burglars are coming over the fence and I'm like, Oh no, please don't be a black dude. Please don't be a black dude. <laughs> one of the guys, a black dude, the first dude that tries to jump over the fence, he shoots him in the back. <laughs> it's yeah. a black dude. And yeah. I'm like, no, yeah. but he, he ended up shooting two black dudes and two, two white he dudes. Kept it. Yeah, he kept there it wasn't diverse. a lot of, there wasn't a lot of uh, diversity. We, in this. Okay. 
this is the American psyche. Like, I watched this movie and I was like, I understand so much about America. This kid is literally his dream. <laughs> All he wants for Christmas is a fucking gun. And then at the end, he falls asleep with it. And the gun's called the peacemaker. Like, you, I don't know who needs to hear this, Americans, but you cannot make peace with more guns. And like, oh, the NRA would disagree. I know. I literally, I literally, Scott came into the room and I said, Did the NRA sponsor this movie? And he goes, I don't think the NRA was I don't around. I think so, because they only yeah, have like a so. four million dollar budget if the nra did they probably would have had like a 40 million dollar budget and there would have been, been it wouldn't have been a, a bb gun it would have been a real ass gun that they were getting yeah. ralphie yeah and the, and the little brother would have had one too yeah uh, it, I, I was shooketh. I was shooketh <laughs> that all he wanted for Christmas. And yeah, his fantasy of protecting his family with this gun and these rubbers coming in. And I was just like, and it was all like. Yeah, I mean, I wanted, I wanted a BB gun. I wanted like an airsoft gun when I was little. I had a whip. We had. Um, you guys are so had violent. A and arrow. I mean, I yeah, got I had a whip from from Wall Drug. I, I got uh, it a was uh, legit too. I got. I mean, I got a gun when I was a child. I got a gun no. for my twelfth. I was twelve years old. I got it for Christmas. I have a whole joke about it on my album. That's like where the title of the album comes from. Because uh, oh, nice. I got a BB gun, gun when I was twelve real, years old. No, a shotgun. A real rifle. Oh, shotgun. <laughs> Jesus even. Christ. Wow. Yeah. Like, what were you supposed to do with that? Like, you weren't hunting Nothing. with. Yeah, I got it. My grandpa gave it to me and then immediately like my dad locked it up in his gun safe and I have not seen it since pretty much. So my parents wouldn't even let us have like gun shaped things or like water guns. Like like, my folks were like, no, you know, like all the army men and shit like that stuff Mm -hmm. was not encouraged in my household. And I think therein lies an interesting like cultural difference between American and Australian kids or I guess like I was growing up in Hong Kong, but like. You guys, like, this movie just blew my mind the whole way through. I'm like, literally, I got like 10 minutes in and I turned to Scott and I'm like, is this movie about a kid (laughs) whose greatest Christmas wish is a gun? (laughs) And he's like, and he says, he's like, you, Dave. He's like, well, a BB gun. I'm like, it still shoots fucking shit. That's what I'm saying. I mean, this is how we we grew up, right? We were in a lot of wars. We were in a lot of wars. There's, um, you know, a lot of a lot of violence that that started this country, right? right? And then there's a ton of movies in Hollywood that glorify the right. stuff that we grew this up. This is glorifying violence. Huge yeah, thing. we live in a country where kids were allowed to watch violence and violent stuff on TV before oh, they were allowed to watch any sort of sexual related thing on TV. Yeah, definitely. Because all these blockbuster movies had love stars that were shooting love shooting them. guns mm-hmm. and getting into gunfights, killing a ton of and cops then, and stuff like I'm that. I'm sorry, yeah. but the bully, like the bully appeared on screen and I'm like well that child's clearly neglected like that's my first thought like, <laughs> but this he had be- braces that, that's somebody's paying <laughs> that, attention yes. in that kid's life thank you <laughs> and, then I'm, point, and then yeah. I'm also like where are the adults where are the adults you know what I mean like this when I moved to a new school in they're Hong- working oh, like just an, this is in oh. Cleveland and then the neglect when they like put him in line for the Santa Claus I'm like your child could get snatched I'm gonna be a total helicopter parent I'm gonna be the worst <laughs> know you know it. what I thought about that scene is how bad parking must have been. That was what was going through my head oh, the mall. when they were at that mall. And all those people are running around waiting for Santa. I'm like, it must have been a nightmare to park. Yeah, it's a to totally different time period. That's the only yeah. mall they could go to. Now you can go, and in, in Cleveland at least, there's got to be like four malls within yeah. the radius of the city that you can go hit if you want to get your Santa all picture. With the, all with different Santa. Yeah. We were talking, and it's like mall culture is so different now than it was then. Like, I... 
well, also I'm, you know, in my 30s. I don't have children or whatever. But no, even when I lived in Toronto in my early 20s, I remember like getting excited to see like, you know, the window displays and stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if it's just LA, but like, I just feel like mall, like we talked about this, David, in a previous episode, like going to see Santa and all that shit. Like it just, it's less, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's for kids. So if you had kids, you might jump back into that feeling just to have them have that experience right i think but like if you go to the grove you can see a bunch of cool shit and walk around and you get that feeling about christmas that christmas spirit i think now like the santa is not really a big deal you you can just order a santa for your kids on cameo you know you can get a personal call and you're like is this from santa no baby it's from jeff bezos okay (laughs) thank you jeff i love you Uh, Tell Tim Cook what you want for Christmas, honey. Go sit on it. Yeah. Go sit exactly. on his lap. Go sit into the Alexa. Oh no, she's oh he's listening. He knows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, I the whole time I was like, where are the adults? And then like the kid with the tongue, and he's like standing out there freezing. And then all of a sudden. Uh, the police show up. So basically they de- do- they triple dog dare their friend to stick the tongue to the pole, which I'm like, is this where this came from? Because I'm pretty sure they did it in Dumb and Dumber. I'm like, is this like a, yeah, a thing? Yeah, they did yeah. this. Okay. They did this in this first. So like yeah. I've always heard of this like folklore, but like never lived in a place really that had snow. And then I when I moved to a place with snow, I was an adult. I wasn't about to try it, I don't think. But Mythbusters did it. It it does happen. It does. So, so then yeah. she like sees this. By the way, Ralphie's a shitty friend. He leaves his friend in the snow. The he, bell rang. Yeah, I know the bell rang. He also let, <laughs> he also let his friend. Ralphie's get, not a shitty friend. He's a nerd. He just wants to yay. go to class. Listen, Ralphie's the whole a shitty friend. Ran out. Ralphie One lets day. his friend get beat up because he's got to go get his A plus, which he gets a C plus. But when anyway, the kid gets his tongue stuck on the pole, and then like all the adults show up, like the firemen, yeah. the police. I'm like, did you guys have nothing else going on today? They like, must not. Yeah, they must a not. Have, yeah, it was a slow day. I do agree with you. Ralphie could have said that it happened to his teacher. Hey, He'd my still friend's outside, to about bell. to die. Have to wait. Yeah, the cold. Like, go get a cup of warm water. Right. Just breathe on your friend's tongue. Right. Like that would have been weird. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> or that's the ultimate but, sign of friendship. Yeah. That's yeah, the yeah, true, true. I gotta, true closeness. I got to pee on your Everybody mouth. Everybody stick your tongues yeah. on here. Yeah. <laughs> I got to pee. Um, how did you guys see how they did that scene? It was like a little suction thing. Yeah. So what they did was it was like a like a pipe, and they cut a hole out, and they sucked air out of it. So like when he put his tongue up to it, his tongue would stick to it. Oh, and that's genius! And they just angled it a certain way where you couldn't see the hole. Yeah. Movie, Movie magic. magic. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the adults had no fucking clue what was going on, or they were terribly terrifying. Um, what did you guys think of the mom? Like he kind of idolized her, but also. I was fucking devastated. I wrote this down. He's like, everybody's like, oh, can you get me that honey? Can you get me that honey? And I'm like, thinking to myself with dad, I'm like, get the fuck up yourself. Yeah, (laughs) dinner, I felt for her. And she was just, and he, Ralph even said, she she hadn't had a hot hot meal in like 10 years. years. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I think the mom, and this is a, a frustrating part for me about both of Ralphie's parents in this movie, is that they go back and forth, and the mom more so than the dad, but the mom definitely goes back and forth between being really dumb and really smart and and like emotionally intuitive and empathetic. Like, I think mm-hmm. that one of the notes I wrote down is literally just 
good mom because as soon as she <laughs> saves Ralphie from the fight and and like takes care of him, puts like a washcloth on his neck. How 1940s is that? Put a washcloth on your crying kid's yeah. neck. That's great. Yeah. I thought that was like the basis of toxic masculinity. She's like, wipe your eyes, you know, like this is why our parents are so fucked up because that's what they thought. <laughs> Was the way to get through like emotions, but, but she yeah, saved. Sorry, but she saves him from having to talk to his dad about the fight. And this is okay. this is. I think this is good momming. She's like, listen, Back you, up, you had her little. She thing. leaves the kid in the snow bleeding after taking her own child. Well, yeah, Scott Farkas is a piece of shit. We don't need he to save him. Does she know that he's a piece of shit? Kid. Do they all know in the neighborhood that he's a piece of shit? And if so, why are they letting them beat up their kids? It's good for you. <laughs> it's good Probably. for you. Probably, yeah, Probably. But, you know. But there's like, also I'm not going to beat him up, but like you did. So good job. I mean, if you know, if I, I can't imagine that my mom would have been unhappy if I beat up my bullies and left them laying in the street bleeding out, she probably would have been like, good job. Finally, congrats. Yeah, I don't think I got in trouble for punching bullies in the face, which I did a few times um, I or got, I got my I, ass kicked. It was just like, hey. You know, talking to like this, you know, you shouldn't fight, shouldn't be aggressive. But I also had two other brothers who beat the shit out of me constantly, too. And we're constantly getting into it. As a girl who grew up, you know, went through school in like the 2000s and 2010s, I didn't get beat up physically, but I got beat up emotionally. And I can guarantee that if I had found it within me to come up with something terribly biting, I probably would have been forced to apologize. So um, that's an interesting cultural thing. And I wonder if it's also a guy girl thing. I'm curious. Interesting. Maybe. But for Could all be. of the mom being nice stuff, she like I said, she also has moments more so than the dad where she's super dumb and and does stuff that I did not find like cute or endearing. The Such way that as? well, the the pig scene where she's encouraging her child <laughs> to eat like a little piggy and oh talking about God. her little piggy boy. And the narration too is like, oh, she was smart the way she did it. Like dad had a heavy hand, um, which and means he was like, I'm coded, shove. coded word for being. Fucking abusive, but, continue. but yes. he didn't hit her. He would just he would threaten again, mm-hmm. threaten. And so cute, <laughs> love that. Oh, dads are the best in the night. The kid hadn't eaten in multiple years. Okay, I had to sit at my table. Nobody left until I ate like all my vegetables. Yeah, I had to do right, that too. like they, like it would be hours, like an hour or two later, and I'd have to sit there, and I still wouldn't eat it, and then I'd finally just get grounded for like a week for not for not eating mm-hmm. um, something I didn't like. Broccoli's so a motherfucker. These kids, yeah, these kids, they got off pretty easy. I'm not saying I didn't get forced to do shit like that too. I, to this day, cannot eat raw tomato because of like traumatic experiences as a child, you know, yeah. but I feel like also now we're not supposed to do that with kids. Like I feel no. like there's literature about how that creates like eating disorders and stuff. Oh, oh so yeah. I mean, I my sister was also raised the same way as, as as David and I was, where we weren't allowed to in Paris. I'm sure this actually rings a bell because my sister refuses to eat tomato, too, because of traumatic incidents from our childhood. And also Jeez. she refuses to eat any kind of salad and a lot of other stuff. But tomato is like the one absolute thing she like refuses trigger. to touch even this day. Yeah. Yeah. But that that scene grossed me out with that little kid. Oh, acting he got like a pig. way too much food on his face. That was disgusting. And it was just too much time with him on the camera doing that. <laughs> yeah, and I like close my eyes David for a second, a, and I'm like just fat. Like, David has a gag trigger scene. where he's like, oh please, <laughs> no. Yeah. Also, they eat like orange or what is it? Purple cabbage, Red cabbage. and meatloaf. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I. I think I have had meatloaf. Is that meatloaf's like, pretty good? Meatloaf's is that great. like a standard like a middle America like weekly rotation food? 
I wouldn't say weekly. Maybe, yeah, like every uh, other week or monthly at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's good. My parents made it with ketchup, which was disgusting. Yeah, David. And then oh, yeah, so I, cut the, I cut the ketchup top off and I you put barbecue sauce on it. I, and that's really good. I was a gravy on my meatloaf person because usually we do meatloaf and mashed potatoes and mm-hmm. gravy. Oh, they're mashed potatoes, though. Those mashed potatoes looked awful. Those That looked yeah, almost like Cool Whip. Gross. gross. Um, I did read a fun fact that they had that every night, like that in the movie, he has it every night. So I wonder if that's like his childlike memory being like, we ate this every single night or if it's like yeah. they really were. See, and, and it could be because this is a pretty smart writer and director that put this together. And this is like based off a lot of um, stories that Gene Shepard wrote and he was like a radio personality. Mm-hmm. And um, Bob like Clark was driving around, I read for a date. And he heard this guy talking about these stories and he was 45 minutes for the date or sorry, 45 minutes late for his date because he kept driving around because he wanted to finish. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm going to make a movie on some of these guys stories. And it took like 12 years, but he he did it. Can we talk about the dad being awful to those dogs and shutting the dog's ear in the door? <laughs> the bumpus dogs. That was hilarious, though, but he's like, he's no. so happy that he won. Hold on, you don't know where I'm going. And he stuck his ass out. He's like, go ahead and have a little bite. <laughs> he stuck it out the door because he was so happy that he won something. Also, but yes, he, he was yeah, mean to those dogs. That was terrible, dogs. and I hate you. Uh, but <laughs> what about the lamp? I think, okay, so I've seen this lamp uh, around, the leg and I lamp. have no now you know i now i'm like oh because i would see these lamps and i'd be like man what the fuck is going on with this like stocking leg lamp um (laughs) what the fuck and also what the fuck because the dad's like stroking the stocking and the little boy's like kind of into it and the mom's kind of jealous of the plastic lamp i'm like as a woman very secure in her relationship i just like don't understand am i missing something here i think it was a fact that he won it he even says when it's broken he's like you've always been jealous of this because i won he won it as a prize yeah yeah, as a prize and he was just so happy that he won something right whatever was going to be so you don't think it has anything to do with the fact that it was like a womanly shapely no no and it was fragile, and that he fragile he must be yeah, Italian, which is a which is <laughs> great a great line. joke, fucking great that is a joke. Good joke. Fine, I'll pay yeah. that one. <laughs> and um, whatever was going to be in that box, yeah, he was going to fall in love with, and it was going to be the most. Then why amazing was the thing. mom jealous of it? Not because he won it. She just hated it because it was ugly. It's I think, go- I think it's yeah, because it's gaudy and it's in the window, yeah. and the entire yeah. neighborhood is coming to look at it. And also, I mean, clearly in the narration, it it alludes to the fact that Ralphie knows what's going on. He calls it electric sex in in the narration, <laughs> which is definitely like probably from the mom's perspective, also not something that you want to have around your children. A, a yeah. giant fishnet stocking lamp. A swanky house on the block. Everyone's looking. Yeah, cool. <laughs> this is about the time like, where you, yeah. Little to the little to the right. Little I, to the right. I forgot how big it was. I did not mm. like that thing. I have a I have a fan, a tower fan in the corner of my living room that is the size of that leg lamp in that movie. It comes in this gigantic oh, wow. box. Because yeah. even in like in you know this is the kind of classic thing you could order in like a Sky Mall magazine when they still had those on planes, yeah. and it's small. It's the size of a desk lamp in those. Yeah, I've seen like the desk lamp versions in like some antique shops. Yeah, this is yeah. like a rocket leg. Yeah, I've seen a couple true to size ones in some bars. Before. 
<laughs> I just, I guess, I guess I forget how big legs are and also <laughs> how weird it is to yeah, have the, one uh, as a, a lamp. lamp the, am- the American on. fascination with this movie, now that I know what this lamp is, I'm like, it's like the Harry Potter tattoo, like the, with the elder wand and stuff that you see around, like the grip that a Christmas story has had on the American psyche is truly shocking to me as someone who just saw it like yesterday but this is how this was how a lot of people grew up right Mm -hmm. this was like a family christmas this movie um they're even saying like how how we even got this movie funded it's not really about anything it's a kid that wants a bb gun and a family you know just going through the Christmas holiday. And a lot of people experience that like this, where, you know, your parents might not have had a ton of money and you, as a kid, you really want something. And then, you know, your dad ends up getting it for you, which is pretty interesting because his dad never knew that he wanted the gun, right? Or Ralphie never told his dad. He told the teacher, his mom and Santa. And his dad ends up being the one who was looking out for him and got him got him the the BB gun. So it's just like this middle class family going through Christmas. And that's what a lot of people can relate to. I want to stop you right there. I think this is a story of a middle class class white family. I mean, do you think? Uh, I disagree. I I read this uh, article. What's his name? What's the redhead's name? Scott? Scott. 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 Great, great name, by the way. Scott (laughs) Farkas. Great bully name. Scott Farkas. Yeah. And um, so he was saying that his name's Zach Ward. He sums it up. I've seen five-year-old kids squat down in front of the TV and not talk while they're watching it. There's no song from Frozen. There's no dancing, no talking reindeer or snowmen. It's kids in a time when the five-year-old doesn't care if it's a little white boy or girl, little black boy or girl, Hispanic, Asian, Jewish, doesn't matter. They don't care. They're watching it because it's their family. I think the Asian kids would have a problem with this film. Well, that the restaurant scene's kind of fucked up when they're singing. Yes, um, <laughs> at, at the Chop Suey restaurant. I but I'm just saying. No, well, there's what his point is that it's like a Christmas story, like kids going through Christmas, like in the U.S. I would say a lot okay. of kids that grow up like middle class or on the poor side probably experienced a lot of Christmases like this. Well, David, you know that we have a listener in Morocco because I told you that this week because I can see where mm-hmm. people are tuning in from and we just got a new listener in The Hague. I think that's how you say it in the Netherlands. So shout out to Isn't Morocco that and The Hague. Where the, where the, uh, the International Criminal Court is? I think so, Do we yeah. get somebody it's, on trial listening it literally, to the podcast? It literally said The Hague and I was like, okay, and I had to Google it. But I'd be so curious to know. Like, obviously, the majority of our listeners are in either America, Canada, or Australia just because of like who we promote of who course. Our friends and whatever. But I would be so curious to know if someone in Morocco was to watch this movie and like email us and be like, yeah, David's totally right. Like it's so relatable. Or if it's just truly like an American thing, because for me, shook. No, but that's shook what I'm it. saying. I, just because I said little black, Hispanic, Asian, or Jewish, I'm saying U.S. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. that doesn't mean, like, we have all those people that grew up sure. in the U.S. That's what I'm kind of getting at. So it's like, a, uh, it could just be that this is how kids experience Christmas in the in the States. I think it's one of those things, too. Whether, whatever background they're from. Where it's like every, you know, in the same way that, like, It's a Wonderful Life became a Christmas classic because of how it was played on cable television, yeah. I think A Christmas Story sort of fell into that same, uh, I don't want to say trap, 
But that's basically how it became or how it raised in the level of popularity where it was acquired and played on TBS and WGN mm-hmm. every single Christmas and Thanksgiving. And it would, and, you know, now there's 24 hour marathons that happen every single year and have been happening for decades at this yep. point. Um, but that's the thing. It's like, it seems like if you look at this movie, it feels the thing that I came away with the most is it does feel so chaotic and so all over the place and so plotless that if you're trying to appreciate it as a movie, I found it was hard for me to do this time, knowing that there are other Christmas movies out there that actually do have like a plot and a story arc and characters who you can sort of like watch grow and change over the course of the movie. Also, I- I wonder if filmmaking has changed, you know, since 1983. Like maybe it was more acceptable to have more of a meandering, you know, storyline back then. Yeah, and again, I mean, it's a low budget. They had a story. It's adapted from, um, you know, the writer's other stories and some stuff in his life. And they took it and they made it. And it's, I read that Jerry Seinfeld got a lot of his comedy um, from listening to Gene Shepard on the radio growing up. I buy that. I could see that. Um, so, well, I read an article by this woman named Kat Bowen um, on Brompa.com and going back to the racism, she ended up marrying a, she's from the middle of America and she and her family would watch this every year. And she was like, now I won't let my kids watch this because her kids are half, you know, Chinese. And yeah, that's, that's bogus the, in the, in the restaurant. The, discri- the That is like, to me, David on par with the, breakfast at tiffany's obviously it's like a much shorter scene but well like- they are actually asian actors True. though too right True. and i i couldn't tell if the guy the owner of the restaurant was breaking and was he laughed like almost starting to laugh when he is conducting them like he was kind of turning away I a think little he's bit making fun like he's kind of like making it's that's what i'm kind of it, it threw me off a little yeah. bit is what i'm saying compared th- to yeah i, I want to hit jay what do you think of that scene it's one of the scenes that i watched this when i was rewatching it and i was like do we need this yeah, <laughs> yeah you cringing. don't need it yeah do we need this? Up in his ears. He's like, no, it's please. like the one thing yeah you do not and then when she's like oh the head and like they come out and they's like ah, ah chops it off i was like listen as someone who grew up in asia and has seen a lot of discrimination towards asian people i'm just like i fucking hate like I mean, as you can probably tell, I did not like this movie and I did not like this specific scene <laughs> in general. And if that means you guys have to take my green card away, that's fine because I stand by it. Um, no yeah. one's taking your green yeah. card. But, but this scene was so like the farara, like that's a shitty joke. And it's like, so shitty. It's so uh, shitty. talking about it's punching so, down, like, David, which is, yeah, fuck that. It's uh, it. I got to that scene and I was like, whoa. So some of these movies that I've seen time and time again, when I was little, and didn't even register. And then I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what dude, the that, is not, that is not cool. And I was and bitching I was, about this movie. And, yeah. and, and Scott, goes, Scott goes, do you ever think you'll be less woke than David on the podcast? And I was like, no, I don't. I think I'm just like so much more critical because for some of these movies, like I've never seen them. So like, you're right. Like when you have that nostalgia factor, you're coming in and you're like, oh, True, but I but love I, it. You know, there might be a part of it because we grew up in different um, places. Right. And I just like to me and, you know, we love movies so much. And part of me growing up in this country and seeing all the shit that I've seen and witnessed or experienced. Right. A lot of it to me just kind of either rolls off my back right now 
you know, in my the way I am right now, my mind process, but a lot of it I've seen and I've dealt with. Yeah. And I'm just like, eh, yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. And like, then, the, like you said, like there was two black robbers and they get shot in the back, you know, but there's, yeah. there's one little black girl in the class and then that's it. Everyone's white. There's a couple black kids in the class. Okay. Yeah. But like, this is a story about like white kids. And like, I also need to remember that some of these towns that things like, I feel like there are towns in middle America that are very white. Right. And that's when, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, Definitely. Segre- yeah. I don't know really say segregation, but like split. Right. So yeah, that was shocking to me. But at this point, if there's more than one person of color with lines with some of these movies, I'm like, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. I think it's definitely also one of those movies that, Really, because there is such a, a dearth of Christmas movies out there, if this wasn't your family's Christmas movie, then it's also hard to find the same level of enjoyment as somebody who is like watching it all the time, doing all sorts of stuff with it. Like here, I, I, I was reading some of the reviews and like, I don't understand why people like Leonard Malton gave this four out of four stars or Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert, I understand a little bit more because he's all over the place. He's a wacky reviewer. (laughs) But he gave this four out of four stars and added it to his great movies list. And I think that if you look at, you know, maybe the kinds of uh, uh, the kinds of Christmas movies that like my family watched were very different than a Christmas story. Like we probably shopped around and tried to do a Christmas story, maybe a couple of years, but it just didn't stick. And so now I'm, I was watching it and I was like, sure. Yeah. There was like some times that I liked in this movie. There's definitely some parts that I laughed out loud still now, but a lot of it, I was like, this is just not really my cup of tea. Like, and sure. I probably watched it and enjoyed it as a kid, but we never watched it enough for me to have like the true nostalgia of like, Oh, I want to watch this every Christmas season. I want to watch a Christmas story live that somehow uh, exists. I want to go see the Broadway (laughs) musical that for some reason got written and made. Uh, Oh my God. there, There was like a sequel. Uh, Kieran Culkin's in it. Oh, really? I, mean, I, would, yeah. watch, I, would, I would watch <laughs> yeah. that just because I love not, him. Not Kieran Culkin from Succession when he was a little kid. Yeah, obviously. Right. Not that character. Because I would <laughs> also love to see year. the character from him from Succession going through a Christmas story. Be like, meh. Then in Dick uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. Oopsie. Yeah. Oopsie. Yeah, well. But that's yeah. the, like there for for all the the you know the the hackiness of it and the shitty you know racial elements and the shitty just like you know the the all over the placeness of it and the lack of a plot. Um, I do still think that there are like some really funny like some, I, I laughed out loud at when the kid is sitting in the cabinet under the sink and yeah. the mom <laughs> is like, do you want to? glass of milk <laughs> she's like okay and then she's like all right bye and then just cam again and she closes it it's yeah. so silly that's, that's like the, that's like so the last funny. panel of a comic strip yeah. happening <laughs> and i i couldn't help myself yeah there are a bunch of parts in this movie that are like that which i appreciate and i like and i don't know if it's just my sense of humor but a lot of this stuff I geek out at and it's a little bit kind of slower setups and it's not just here's a joke, here's a joke, here's a joke, right? Uh, and based on, 
I'm a fan, fan of Seinfeld and Kirby enthusiasm. So watching these things that are little kind of cringy moments in a family <laughs> setting or just everyday life setting, that's the shit that really makes me laugh. Right. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Paris is not. Paris is judging us so hard. I'm, I'm not judging There's you. There's some Every, heat coming out. Everybody microphone. has a different sense of humor. I personally like comedies where the dad isn't about to fucking beat his children at every moment, oh and that's God. not why the child is hiding under the sink. I like my comedies without a heavy dose of racism. But you know what? If that's your thing, that's your thing. I will who s- am I? It is the United States of America. Let us all live under comedy. Besides all the stuff yes. that we've already mentioned, I do have one question to pose to you guys that really bugged me about this movie um Mm. it is implied heavily that the family puts their tree up on christmas Christmas eve Eve. who does that what the fuck Oh geez, that really know how to celebrate christmas psychos that do it before thanksgiving Okay, first of all, it's because this year is depressing as shit. And also, second of all, I didn't put a lot of people. I didn't put it up. Okay, I thought you that was at me, and I was like, you know what? We don't have Thanksgiving where I'm from, so basically, people do that. Yeah. How? Wait, Paris. When do you put your Christmas tree up? Listen. I mean, I would. There is so little joy in my life apart from, of course, this podcast with my best friend, David, and you, Jay, the best guest we've ever had. But you know what I'm saying? Like this year, I was like, I'm down to put it up November 1st and I got shut down. So that's fine. And then it was like, we can't put it up before Thanksgiving, which is an arbitrary rule that my partner has invented, it seems like. So I think I put it up. December 1st. I think that's respectable. That's, that's legit. That's See, normal. Wait till December. Yeah. I, res- I respect but that. Like, the night before, like the fuck are you doing? You might as well just not put it up and then bring it down. Like I know some yeah, people. I'd I- say maybe like a week out would be good. A week out's good. It's solid. Okay. Yeah. Cause then you're really setting the tone for that week that Christmas week and you're doing it together with your family, putting ornaments and stuff. See, this on. is where I have oh, adopted yeah. the American spirit. Like I'm a glutton. I need more. I need yeah, more. I'll, I'll take less. I'll take, I'll take more in a confined space, right? That little closet or the under the sink. I'll, I'd I'll like to point Christmas out that David's the only one wearing a Christmas sweater <laughs> and has been for weeks. He's dabbing again. I have to kill myself. With black Santa. Black Thank Santa. You very much. There you I am go. woker on, on this podcast right now. That's to, that's to offset the bad racial politics of a Christmas story. You get a black <laughs> yeah. Santa on there. Yeah. You're good to go. Say what I want. Um, yeah, no, I, that's a great question, Jay. I was also disturbed. I was like, what the fuck is happening? Um, also, he's so, what did he say? Oh my God. The line was, my dad loves Tabata. He's like an Arabic, like he says something. And <laughs> at I was the bazaar. Like, at the bazaar. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I missed that completely. God, he says something like that. And the guy's like, you know, honey, maybe we'll get one of them plastic trees. And he's like, I'll take $2 off and I'll strap it to your car. And he's like, huzzah. Um, so yeah, it wasn't just, it was just a throwaway line, but uh, it wasn't just uh, people of Asian descent that got uh, a joke on them. That got the wrath. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but maybe Arabic people are really good barters. Maybe that was a... Maybe. Let's just, let's just throw out some more stereotypes. David, you go first. <laughs> White <laughs> um, people love this movie. That's a stereotype. Exactly. White people yeah. love this movie. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> he's also the reason for Christmas. That's a sidebar. I don't know. I'm not really religious. Uh, I also... Well, I also, Jesus might have been. I think he was from the. Oh yeah, he's right, well, he was born. Technically, he was also Nazareth. born in March. 
So, so there you go. So you're saying I could put my Christmas tree up again in February. In March. You could. Yeah, February. Uh, and bring the bunny costume out in April. <laughs> great. Yeah, look like, also another great line from this movie, look like a pink nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, another great line from this movie was saying something about a jackrabbit on a date. I forget what the context oh, was, but yeah. I wrote that down and I was like, oh no. This kid is like a little bit too knowledgeable for how old he is true but is it the kid telling the story or is it the an adult, adult telling right. a story mm-hmm. right um kids in suits uh should be banned in movies i find them terrifying <laughs> <laughs> suits it's too unsettling yeah i don't like it do you got did were you guys dressed in little suits when you were kids no i'm not sure if i was dressed in suits but i will say that's probably got to be pretty expensive nowadays oh, right yeah. to oh, yeah. get well, because these kids had kids. full three-piece suits. Like, they had yeah. vests, they had ties, yeah. they had waistcoats. I, I can't even get a full three-piece suit today. Yeah, I had a clip-on tie. There's no way any of these kids were wearing clip-on ties. These were full-on, like, like Windsor knots. Windsor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember a particularly horrifying family portrait, because we used to get those taken when my brothers were in waistcoats. I do remember that, but that, you know, they didn't have the tie and the overcoat. and the These kids are, like, dressed to the nines to go to the mall. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Family um, outing. Family yeah, outing. Let's go see Santa. in public. Santa is a dickhead, but it's fine. Also, wait, did anyone, did they ever explain why the Wizard of Oz characters are also running around the mall? <laughs> no. Yeah, and then the, the dad was like arm in arm with a scarecrow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was this a Disney film? No, this was uh, no, MGM. This is MGM, yeah. Was the Wizard of Oz Disney? Um, no, I don't think so. I think the Wizard of Oz also, also might have been MGM. Probably was MGM, they, but they, they, Mickey was in the Mickey parade. Mickey Mouse, that's why I was thinking. Like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, Wizard of Oz is MGM also. Okay. Oh, and, yeah. t- and Snow White, they had a really terrible Snow White. Like, you know how on preschools where they're legally not allowed to have the cartoon characters? It was like that level of a Snow White, <laughs> but that's what they had. Snow, <laughs> snow yellow. She's snow cool. white. Yeah. <laughs> Snow uh, why? Snow <laughs> why? Um, did you guys see that uh, Jack Nicholson was set to play the old man? No, and then he, his fee his fee was too much. Uh, the abuse undercurrent would have been so much thicker if he was <laughs> the, <what undercurrent>? <laughs> the abusive dad undercurrent would have been so much axe. thicker if it was there. He's walking yeah. around with an I, mean, uh, I don't know how kids. it could have been that much thicker, but sure. Oh. Yeah, he could have cut open the door. That's true. <laughs> I heard you've been bad at school. Oh my god. Um, no, I didn't see that. I did. I would like to see that movie though, to be honest Jack with you. Jack Nicholson as the dad. Yeah. In hey, listen, maybe we can get Kieran Culkin. You know, it's a grown-up yeah. version. Yeah. I, I did see that this was not shot in Ohio. Uh, oh no, sorry, it was shot in Ohio. The it was meant to be. Was. It was meant to be Indiana, right? But it was shot in Ohio and Toronto. I saw, and the house where they shot it. Uh, went up for sale in 2005 and someone bought it for $150,000, which to me seems like a ludicrously small amount for a house uh, these days. And the guy who bought it ended up restoring it to look exactly like the film. Mm-hmm. And you can tour it. And uh, I think you can even rent it to have your Christmas there. And the, chair, the proceeds go to charity. I mean, that's cute. The charity pot's yeah. cute. That's cute. That's nice. 
Yeah. Would you guys do that? Would you rent it out and have your Christmas there? I mean, I never really cared about this movie too much growing up. Like, I don't think we had a movie that we watched every Christmas. Stuff would be on just as people are cooking and hanging out, talking to each other. But, like, we didn't have a set movie, which I know a lot of families do have, like, a set movie that they watch together, which is which is kind of cool. But... I, for this this movie for me growing up was just like ah it's on TV whatever yeah my family traditions around Christmas it's all we do so for trimming the tree we watch it's a wonderful life and eat pizza Christmas Eve the movie is church uh, which uh, that's thankfully that's the only time my parents still go to church. Oh, I thought, there was a movie called, I thought there was no, a movie called. I thought there was a cold church that I did not know of. No, it, I just go to a mega church back in my where my parents live and is that like gawk. the midnight mass. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because we did, uh, we were Protestants. We were, okay. I grew up Methodist. So they had just uh, snow, fake snow that fell in Texas that What's they cashed out for. Methodist, is that like Meisner technique or how does that work? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of when the when the pastor well says done, the sermon, Chris. you repeat back to him with no right. emotion. <laughs> right, right, Repetition. right. Repetition <laughs> exercise. Uh, sure. The pe- peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. I'm learning so much <laughs> so about religion. Peace, so the peace is with me? Peace is, <laughs> the peace is with you. The peace isn't with me. Peace isn't with me? Oh, God. I've unlocked um, the, the acting nerds. Oh. But, then, but, then, but now I... I've done my own tradition of like my parents all at the end of Christmas, whenever I'm with them, they tap out. So I go see a movie by myself at an actual movie theater, which is so much better. And also I didn't realize that was like a tradition other families had. So now I've stumbled into other people's Christmases by accident to go see different movies. If I have a family one day, I'm going to do that because I love going to see movies like after Thanksgiving, you know, if you mm-hmm. eat at like three or four, things are winding down. You go see like an eight o'clock, 10 o'clock movie yeah. around Christmas. Well, I hope yeah, those I think people that's cool. working the cinema are getting paid a shit ton of money. They're probably not, but hopefully their their state is doing at least $15 minimum wage. I hope they at least get a half day. They show up late. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. Well, yeah, they probably open it up later in the yeah. day. I'd assume. I feel I like hope. I'm not seeing a lot of like yeah. 11 a.m. matinees on yeah. Christmas Day. <laughs> Good, I hope. At the Studio Movie Grill in Colleyville, Texas. Because you've got to drink wine and look at the out the window first thing in the morning in your pajamas and then get your turkey eaten by the next door neighbor's dogs. <laughs> which, would be, which would be a thanks, a Friendsgiving at... Paris's house. No, at if, my house, the if that ever happened to somebody I know. Oh yeah, it'd be me. Yeah, yeah, dogs would eat the turkey. Oh yeah, just catch on fire. That's See, if usual. Ralphie had just been allowed to have his gun earlier, he could have shot the dogs, and none of this would have happened. <laughs> but don't worry, he gets the peacemaker in the end, and he falls asleep, yeah. clutching it. The happiest little boy. Hopefully, there's after no bullets. After almost shooting after, his eye out. Yeah, <laughs> after in a horrific lie he told to his mom. I don't know why. If the whole thing was to get your eye shot out, the first thing that popped in my head, safety goggles. Done. It's Done. the 1940s. Right? They weren't wearing seatbelts. Why the fuck would they have safety goggles? Get him some Paris. styrofoam. Get him some styrofoam, okay, to shoot into. Yeah, true. That's him shooting it ricochet. off a metal sign, recipe for disaster. And it said the golden age on that sign, which uh, this article is like, think what you want to about that. How it bounced off and hit him in the face. What it should was I the think golden about that? age. Uh, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. Okay. Thank you. Well, <laughs> well, I will. <laughs> David, what's your Christmas tradition? 
Oh, ooh, this year it's going to be, <laughs> I think I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm probably going to go to the movies because I'm going to be here. There's a lot of good, what are the movies coming out? I know there's a couple good ones that are coming out on Christmas Day. Hold on, I'm going to look this up. Sorry for my loud keyboard typing that's going on in the background. Yeah, but normally, normally when uh, my grandma was alive, we actually used to do the midnight mass. So uh, we'd have Christmas, hang out with the fam, and then we'd go to church with my grandma at like 11 p.m. Um, and they'd light candles. Everybody hold a candle that's and you'd cute. say, oh, yeah. yeah, do the stuff, do the stuff, I've do done, the stuff, do the thing. I've done midnight mass one year with my, uh, when my, my grandma on my mom's side is so super catholic so we did a midnight mass one christmas when she was visiting us yeah so it's, we did it, double it church cool. that year we were out we yeah. we really it, we wow. double dipped i got i got a whole bunch of jesus god so was you like were good for yeah, god was good like he's two cool. years yeah. yeah i think that's why i don't yeah. have to go to church anymore i think it's because i got i got fully dipped fully immersed oh, wow. in the christian experience 100 yeah, percent um there was one christmas my little brother and i were trying to see who had the most drinks so they they wouldn't have to drive to church that's, so the that's other person wouldn't, wouldn't Ooh, have to go. Smart. Yeah. I haven't had a so family. We, we, none of us went that year. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a family Christmas in a while because I'm from a broken home. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, I feel like Christmas is always really fucking stressful in my house. Maybe that's why I was triggered by this film because I feel like there was always like shouting um, and bitching about like who got more presents. I'm one of three. My younger brother is two years younger than me. There was a lot of rivalry there. Um, oh, yeah. So why didn't this movie relate to you more? Because <laughs> it PTSD'd me, I guess. <laughs> it passengered me. I was like, oh, I don't want to be on this journey with this film. Well, uh, if, if you want to go see something on Christmas, you could go see The King's Man, The Matrix Resurrections. Those are opening on Christmas Day. You mean or, both of them? Because yeah. I am a... a List Stubbs member sponsored by A List Stubbs. Nice. This podcast, yeah. American <laughs> Underdog. If you want to see the Kurt Warner story, <laughs> I want to see that licorice movie. Licorice uh, pizza. pizza. Licorice pizza. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's opening wide that. on Christmas Day. It's I about think. A, yeah. it's about a twenty five year old woman having a, a relationship with a fifteen year old boy, and I'll leave it at that. I won't be seeing it personally, but good for you. Curb your enthusiasm. Just did an episode, <laughs> episode that incorporated something similar. It was pretty pretty funny. Pretty funny. <laughs> Maybe she goes to jail in the movie. You Maybe. don't know, Paris. I haven't Good. seen it. That's true. Who knows? I think the Maybe. trailer, she does get arrested in the trailer. Maybe. Maybe she gets the BB gun she's been dreaming about for a long Maybe time. Maybe it takes place in Alabama and it's legal there. Uh, well, anyway, this conversation's going off the rails. <laughs> so I think I didn't even make a licorice pizza gate joke yet. Come on, Paris. <laughs> oh my God. There's still so much time. Licorice pizza gate. <laughs> Jay, at the end of every episode, we like to do a little shout out to someone from the cast or crew. Mm -hmm. I will go first since I'm probably springing this on you. I always mean to tell people ahead of time before we book them, but I never do. See how fast they work. Oh, don't worry. I got mine. I got, I got mine ready. Locked I'm, I'm okay. locked and loaded. Great. Well, I'm going to go first and I'm going to shout out a woman in this movie because there weren't that many women. So I'm going to shout out Marilyn Stonehouse. She was the production manager for this film. She also worked on Spider in 2002, Jason X, uh, Maximum Overdrive, Crash, not the crash that you're thinking of, the 1996 one. Um, mainly as a production manager, it looks like um, that was her last credit in 2002. And she basically did that for like, whew, I'm still scrolling, Ooh, a long time, like 
30 years. So Marilyn, uh, we need more women in production uh, services and production management and production locations. So Marilyn, we see you and we appreciate we you. We see you and we appreciate you. We see you and we appreciate you. you. David, who you got? We'll leave our guest till last. Um, okay, hopefully... Jay, uh, I'm not snagging you. Um, I'm going with Mary E. McLeod, um, and she is a costume designer. Nice. So I thought the costumes were hilarious in some of these flashbacks or some of his um, like cut twos with when he's imagining something, especially that uh, cowboy costume that he had. So she's got like 50 credits as a costume designer. She recently worked on like How It Ends. She was Army of One, Texas Chainsaw, nice. 3,000 Miles to Graceland, which I think is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think with all of her contributions to this movie, it really played because a lot of people still talk about um, like the bunny costume mm-hmm. too. So Mary, we see you and we appreciate see you. See you and we, we appreciate, appreciate you. you. All right, Jay. Take us, take us out with the uh, shout outs. I would like to shout out the property master of this movie, a Very gentleman good. by the name of Jay Tracy Budd. Um, I think because obviously, of course, the props in this movie, some of the most iconic props that exist in cinema, you got the Red Rider BB gun, you got the leg lamp, you got, totally. um, all, you know, these are indelible things. And Jay Tracy Budd, prop master on this movie, great work. Also worked on, this is one of his first movies, at least according to IMDb, but he'd worked on, uh, Porky's. Mm-hmm. He worked on Children of a Lesser God. He oh, uh, he worked crazy. on he was the prop master on Billy Madison. <laughs> and then he also has had a lot of other work in the art department as set dresser, swingman. He worked on Hairspray, the, the 2007 version, uh, the 2014 RoboCop, uh, X-Men, uh, Blues Brothers 2000, Dawn of the Dead, the Zack Snyder version. So all all over the place. Cut. Yes. Snyder cut. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, prop prop props apartment. Always a huge shout out. That's if huge. I props to the props department. Props to the props. If I wasn't working in this, that would be the department I would want to get in. Is working in props. I love props people, and I love Jay Tracy yeah. Bud's contribution to this film. So I see you and I appreciate see you. you. Yeah, see, see you. And we, you. Appreciate. we appreciate you. So before we get into whether we decided this film aged like milk or not, Jay, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on all of the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, if you feel like it, at Diet J. And you can listen to my podcast, Blockbusting, wherever you get podcasts. And you can also watch Jay's podcast because unlike mm-hmm. us, he has figured out a setup where he makes his guests look uh, like humans and you can watch it on YouTube, <laughs> which yes. we very much enjoyed. If you want to find us Great and see what podcast. we look like. You can find us on Jay's YouTube channel, and one day David and I will figure out a camera mm-hmm. setup at some point. Yeah. Um, and cool. do you have any shows or anything coming up that we can promote in the um, new year? I, well, in the new year, I have some stuff that I'm sure will be figured out. I haven't figured it out as of recording time, but if you go to my website, jlightcomedy.com, I keep it always updated with shows. So just go take a look there. You can get out and take a look at my calendar. You can sign up for my mailing list there as well. So keep your eyes peeled at jlightcomedy.com if you want to see what shows i got coming up. Check them out. Yes. Very funny. Okay, people. It's time to figure out if this movie has aged like 
milk or not. David, would you like to go first? I'll go first. Yeah. Okay. So this may be surprising to the audience who has been traveling with us on this Christmas journey. But I'm going to say this kind of, for me, it's like dementia milk, right? Dementia milk. (laughs) (laughs) Taken from the people with dementia. (laughs) So like, my memory is like, oh, no, that movie's fine. You know what I mean? It's good. It's a Christmas story. It was always on in the background, 24-hour loop. (laughs) We're hanging out. But then I'm watching this movie and I'm laughing. I'm having a good time. This is funny. That's funny. A little nostalgic. How kids grow up. (laughs) And And then we go to this this Chinese restaurant and I am just like dude stop in my stop in my track stop in my tracks and I'm like what the fuck where I've never I don't think I've seen this scene before or I pushed it out of my head somewhere am I watching the unrated version exactly exactly and and then to Jay's point earlier in the episode it's like why you don't need this part like yes you do it's so funny that they bring out the duck without the head taken off oh my god see i feel like that's sarcasm and i agree with you because you really don't need that part you could have just had them like singing something else or not doing what they were doing in this scene in this movie so i guess you could have just had a silent scene where they just bring the duck out and the family's like yay thank god there was an alternative you You know yeah like thank you man for being open during (laughs) christmas to give us an opportunity so I think this movie did age for that one, what, 20 second scene alone, which, you know, I hate, I hate to hate to be that guy. So but, is, but would you drink this milk, though? Um, like I said, I, I didn't really care about this movie growing up anyway. So if it's in my fridge, it's not going to be in my fridge because um, <laughs> <laughs> because my fridge is all encompassing, loving all different <laughs> kinds of people and together in this. So um, I, I think I it's think allowed to be a lot in someone funny, else's like just, fridge, right? Exactly. Okay. Or whatever. But um, if you see it in someone else's fridge, you might reconsider whether you're going to have dinner at their house that often. No, I'm going to have dinner with them, but I might point out like, yeah, no, that movie is super fucking funny, except for you know what I'm talking about, right? And see if they say <laughs> that scene. And then I'll be like, okay, you get it. Right. So that's 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 where I'm, I'm at I'm honestly surprised they don't put some kind of like disclaimer on this film like they did with that with the Dumbo that we watched. You know how I long? honestly don't think we're and it's sad to say that we're there with the uh, Asian community just mm. yet. I feel like people can still get away with these kind of fucked up jokes, yeah. exactly to the Asian community, and it hasn't gotten there yet. Where people are like, "Wait, no, fuck that. Um, that shouldn't be in this." Or, "Hey, it should raise an eyebrow." Right. So, I think we're moving in that direction. I just don't think we are there yet. Jay, what do you think? I think this movie. It's kind of like a different dairy themed product holiday. It's kind of like eggnog, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely a little weird and it doesn't taste great. But if you have somebody who like made the right kind of eggnog, they like got the ratios down. There's there, there there's some really solid flavors, and there's some parts in this movie that I think absolutely nailed it. But also like, why am I gonna? I'm not gonna buy eggnog. Like if it's if it's at if it's out, sure I'll have some. It's tasty. It's a holiday treat, but I'm definitely going to feel weird about it afterwards, too. (laughs) 
It's because really it's that after it's that finish, you know, it doesn't yeah, help that yeah. the, 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 the scene at the Chinese restaurant is literally the, the last, last scene the of scene. the whole movie. Yeah, man. Oh. It's like the rest of it's like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> sure. There's some fun parts. Sure. There's parts that are like, all right, well, this didn't age well. And then the last scene are like, oh man. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Why? Yeah, like, what's, yeah, what? <laughs> Damn, uh, on my tongue. What is like, that? Not yeah. boil out the yolks properly. <laughs> what is that? Too much nutmeg. Yes. I think Paris is about I to think surprise everybody us knows. here. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, Jay, I think the eggnog community and I would like to heartily disagree. This is nothing like eggnog, and we'd like you to take that out your mouth when we're talking about a Christmas story because Ooh, I love eggnog. Damn. I know fighting words. I actually do go out and buy eggnog. Would I buy a Christmas story? Fuck no. I think this movie sucked from top to bottom, and I like I said. You gotta kick me out of the country. That's fine. That's fine. I know this is like a widely loved, closely held Christmas tradition. But from the first couple of minutes, I literally wrote down on my notebook, age like milk. Guaranteed. Coley. And I'm not trying to say like, I don't go into movies and like make snap judgments. I am think I'm a very like well-versed person in cinema. But Again, maybe I have some trauma to work through from my childhood where I was like, oh, this is bringing back like PTSD of like a tense family. Um, But like from the depiction of the mom, the tense, aggressive father, the obsession with getting a gun for Christmas. And then, of course, the piece de resistance, the incredibly racist depiction of the Chinese uh, workers. I was like. Nah, I'm, I'm done with this film. So this milk to me is a rancid rhinoceros milk and <laughs> I don't want it. And I don't think I'll ever watch this movie ever again. And <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's a, that's the strongest I felt about a film in a while. And I think it's because, and it's so interesting. Like I went in with such high hopes, right? Like I'd heard this movie was such a Christmas classic. Mm-hmm. And so like as an adult watching it for the first time, I'm curious if there are other adults out there who haven't seen it like me and maybe my hatred of it will encourage them to go watch it. And they'll be like, Paris, you're being a little bit. Hot. Or maybe it was just like how they grew up watching right. something and then they remember it that way. And they were like, and then watch it today and think some of the parts are a little bit eggnoggy, right. which Jay, I agree. Eggnog is not my drink of choice. I would never buy eggnog, but I'll drink it if it's being offered. If it's at the party, I'll have myself a ladle full, you know, I I don't even think I'll drink it. That's just where I I'm mean, at with the I mean, you just haven't had good eggnog. Could right. be. Could be. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, I, by the way, I don't know why I said rhinoceros milk, because I feel like this is more of a white bread milk. So, like, this is like, I'm trying to think of the most, like, generic American thing. I guess, like, a dairy cow. I, <laughs> um, I, I do want to give one shout out to Melinda Dillon that did play the mom because she's a two time Oscar nominated yeah. actor. Oh, so, wow. Um, yeah, I just think. You know, I just you want to give props to her. And I will uh, say, even though I thought this movie was garbage, I will say that Ralphie, <laughs> the actor, was very good for a young child. To, oh, he's phenomenal. You know, to be this young and to carry this film, I will say. They looked at 8,000 kids. Um, he was the first one to audition because he was a really, um, he was in a ton of commercials out of New York. Yeah. Up to this point. They brought him in first. Um, they brought in one of the kids from the Goonies, too. Yeah, Sean Astin. Yeah, and they brought uh, uh, what's his name? Will Wheaton. They brought uh, him in. Yeah, <laughs> so they brought the kid back and said this was the correct choice the whole time. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting to watch his performance against, um, you know, like some of the other kids because he's definitely more natural. Like the brother, for example, is not a great actor. I mean, he's younger, but yeah. 
So, I, I mean, I do give props where props are due, like Ralphie's. One, one of the other kids was in the toy, which we should do in this movie. I know Scott told you we should do that with mm. um, where actually uh, <laughs> Richard Pryor's like paid to be a, like a toy slave for this kid. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. That sounds like yeah. a great premise. I'm yeah. in. Oh my God. Um, I think it's uh, that might Schwartz's be, character was the, the kid in that movie. That might be a drinking one and then record right after. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Oh boy. I've never yeah. even heard of this movie. Richard Pryor did yeah. some wild movies back in the day. <laughs> oh my God. Well, even though I truly detested this film, I'm glad that I watched it so that I can cross it off my list. Jay, so grateful you could join us. I know that this runs a little longer than your podcast, but we love our podcast friends and family, and we're excited to have you on again in the new year. It's going to be... Definitely. I'm I so excited. You guys are great. I love the podcast. Man. I love y'all. And I think this is this is a great excuse for me to watch a movie and and, and remember, yeah, it's, it's still not that great. And I'm glad that I have better <laughs> taste in Christmas movies than this. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I saw this tweet, so I'm stealing it as a joke, but I really think uh, year three of the pandemic is going to be our year, you guys. Like, I'm super yeah. excited for it. It's going to be great. So... Bring it on. Coming on strong. Yeah. yeah. So that's it for the podcast. Thank you for bearing with us and listening to me rant about how much I hated this film. <laughs> and uh, David, you should check your fridge. Make sure that milk isn't spoiled. Roast milk is gross like this film. Thank you so much. <laughs> and we'll catch like, you on the next one. like one more shot. One Let me more get dig, one more, more shot. <laughs> Bye. Bye.